Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. We'll be practicing the rule of life. We'll breathe out and breathe in the presence of God, and I'll be reading from the Jesus Calling devotional. So let's close your eyes and breathe out symbolically and physically everything that harasses the mind and blocks us from being in this place, turning to the Lord and hearing from Him. We breathe out every anxiety and every harassment and lie of the enemy in Jesus' name. And we breathe in the presence of God, the work of God, the faithfulness of God. Okay, I'll be reading from December 10th, Jesus Calling. Make me the focal point of your search for security. In your private thoughts, you are still trying to order your world so that it is predictable and feels safe. Not only is this an impossible goal, but it is also counterproductive to spiritual growth. When your private world feels unsteady and you grip my hand for support, you are living in conscious dependence on me. Instead of yearning for a problem-free life, rejoice and rejoice that trouble can highlight your awareness of my presence. In the darkness of adversity, you are able to see more clearly the radiance of my face. Accept the value of problems in this life, considering them pure joy, remembering that you have an eternity of trouble-free living awaiting for you in heaven. That is the word of the Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Okay. Uh, first slide. <clears throat> so things might are a little bit different. I forgot to bring my laptop charger, so I'm working off of an iPad. So I'll be doing more reading than normal, sorry. Um, all right, so P. Sam had asked me to talk about the Advent theme of joy. Uh, and looking back, I realized that this isn't the first time that I spoke about joy up here. Um, and last time was during Lent. Uh, so during Lent, I raised the question, can I trust God with my joy? Um, and in that sermon, I talked about how joy is not only innate, but it's also learned um, through study, through accumulating experiences. We can learn to enjoy something. Um, the Bible tells us again and again to rejoice in the Lord. Uh, in his presence, in his work, in his promises. And this call to joy isn't an observation or a recommendation, but it's a command uh, given to us by psalmists, by angels, by apostles, and by God. Uh, a command to rejoice in the Lord means that I'm called to remember the works of the Lord that elicit joy because he is worthy, because he is supremely enjoyable, um, and because there's assurance in God's steadfast love and promises. So we receive a command to sit in the presence of God and to spend time with him and wonder. And if I were to sum up the last message that I gave, uh, it's that the Bible challenges us to see Jesus as being more worthy of our joy than anything else. All right, next slide. So 
But in today's message, uh, because joy is an experience, uh, today I wanted to approach the topic of joy as an experience and ponder with you these three questions. So first is, when is joy experienced in the Bible? Two is, how is joy experienced in the Bible? And three is, how can we experience joy today in this season of Advent? All right, next slide. So the first question, when is joy experienced in the Bible? Uh, the world and everything in it was spoken into creation by God, and he called it good. Um, and he created for humans, humans for his pleasure. But we know that most of human history isn't centered around joy. Um, the creation narrative in Genesis tells us how we live in a world that's been corrupted by our own selfishness, and life is profoundly ex uh, affected by experiences of death and loss. And this is where biblical faith offers a unique perspective on joy. And it's that joy can be experienced in the midst of death, pain, and loss. Joy is an attitude that God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promises. So we see this joy characterized by God's people repeatedly throughout the Bible. Um, so when the Israelites, they were suffering uh, from slavery in Egypt, God raised up Moses to lead them into freedom. And if you remember the soundtrack from DreamWorks, The Prince of Egypt, the first thing that the Israelites did while exiting Egypt was they sang for joy. Um, even though the reality of the situation was that they were wandering into the middle of a desert. Uh, they were for 40 years. Uh, they were incredibly vulnerable and the promised land was still very far away. But despite these circumstances, the Israelites rejoiced anyway and are remembered for doing so. Uh, Psalms 125:43 looks back on the Exodus story and says that the Israel says that the Israelites remembered how the Lord caused his people to leave with joy, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. This joy in the wilderness um, was a defining moment, not only in the Bible, but all throughout. Um, a way of saying that the joy of God's people is not determined by their struggles, but by their future destiny. And this theme appears again later in Israel's story when Israel suffered under the oppression of Babylon, Assyria, Persia, Greece, and Rome. The prophets like Isaiah pointed towards a day when God would raise up a new deliverer like Moses, a day when those redeemed by the Lord would return to Zion with glad shouts, with eternal joy crowning their heads. Happiness and joy will overtake them, Isaiah 51, 11. And while the Israelites waited, they chose to anticipate their future redemption with joy. All right. But if waiting around feeling joyful in challenging circumstances was all there was to it, we'd be called crazy. Uh, we'd be seen as out of touch with reality. And most of the time, I have no idea what God is up to. And if I did, it's only after the fact that I realize what God is up to. And so how can I experience genuine joy uh, when surrounded by uncertainty? Uh, there's got to be more to this joy thing than just remembering promises and waiting to be saved from our present challenges. Um, so next slide. So we look at the second question, um, which is, how is joy experienced in the Bible? Um, so who better to reference than Jesus uh, as our source of joy? So when Jesus of Nazareth was born, uh, it was announced as good news that brings great joy. That was Luke 2.10. 
And we're told that throughout his life and his ministry, Jesus himself rejoiced and gave thanks to God the Father when he began to announce the kingdom of God, Luke 10, 21. After his death and resurrection, Jesus commissioned his followers to go out into the world and announce good news that he had risen. And as they did so, the early church communities were known for being full of joy, even though they were persecuted. So Acts 13, 52. So looking at these examples, I just gave a few, of when God's people experience joy, we find another common thread. It wasn't just that they had hard circumstances. Um, the joy described in the Bible is experienced in the act of following Jesus. Joy is found when we announce good news. So Jesus taught his followers, when people reject and persecute you for following me, rejoice, be very glad, because your reward is great in heaven, Matthew 5. Why? Because when we proclaim the good news, when the word moves from our hearts out into the world, we are actively ushering in the reality of the kingdom of God into our world, into our conversations, into our relationships, into the hearts and lives of people that we do life with. Um, and it's this congruence between following Jesus, proclaiming good news, actively realizing what we're hoping for, and rejoicing that makes us not crazy people, um, but rightfully joyful. So this is why in Philippians 3, when the Apostle Paul was rotting away in a dirty Roman prison, sharing the gospel, he could say that he's chosen the joy in the Lord, even with the possibility of execution. So he believed that his joy was a gift from God's spirit, Romans 15, a sign that Jesus' presence was with him, inspiring hope in the midst of hardship. All right. So what does this message about joy have to do with Advent? Next slide. So in the season of Advent, we reflect on the nativity and the events surrounding it. So we connect with stories about people waiting for a promised anointed king, uh, who would deliver them. And like those that have gone before, we can also choose joy and hope in God's promises despite our circumstances. And we do that by proclaiming the gospel and inspiring joy in ourselves and in others. So, which brings us to our last question for today. How can we experience joy during this season of Advent? Um, how can we both proclaim the gospel and experience joy? So, this is where the sermon's going to take quite a bit of a turn, and I'm out of my element, so bear with me. Um, the season of Advent is one such occasion where we hear the call of joy directly, and I want us to collectively experience that today through the song, Joy to the World, written by English minister and hymnist Isaac Watts, sung to a tune composed by Lowell Mason. All right, next slide. So the lyrics of Joy to the World is an adaptation uh, reinterpretation of Psalm 98. So the Psalm that we read uh, together um, and from a Christ-centric reading, uh, we directly associate the lyrics um, with a call for joy and gratitude in light of the birth of Jesus. So that's how we read, um, well that's how the song Joy to the World is read, but this was actually based on Psalm 98 which wasn't about Jesus per se. So ironically Psalm 98 predates Jesus and describes the redemptive and mighty works of the Lord in the Hebrew Bible. And Isaac Watts connects these, these works of the Lord, his redemption, to the, the coming of Jesus. All right, so next slide. So there's a lot actually to say about the song um, musically, and we'll go into this. But 
Joy to the World is a great example of what's called text painting. And for all you music nerds, uh, this, this is cool stuff. But uh, <laughs> which is when a composer arranges a melody in a way that mirrors what's actually happening in the text. So basically, it's when the notes accentuate the text and the music amplifies the message. So the words joy to the world, the Lord has come is paired with the descending scale. The melody mirrors God coming down from heaven to earth, followed by let earth receive her king, climbing back up the scale, both giving a symmetrical ending to the musical phrase. Right. So it goes da 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 and then da 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 da. <laughs> so it goes down and back up, right? Um, and you can see that on the screen. But um, yeah. So the emphasis at the very end, uh, king, uh, is at the top of the phrase again. Um, so it thematically fits with the notion of Jesus as exalted king, and the notes literally lift up Jesus as king. So another example of text painting is found in the repeated lyrics, when heaven and nature sing, and repeating the sound, uh, repeat the sounding joy. So here, uh, when you hear like big choirs do this, uh, the altos and the tenors and basses, they echo and call and response. Um, and that represents the multitudes coming together to create a joyful sound. And all of their voices converge in the final line of the stanza. So you hear echo, 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 echo together, unison. All right. The call and response elements represented in the music help this text come to life um, by representing the multitudes that come together for the purpose of joy. Um, and lastly, the song was designed for us to easily sing. Um, the entire song is one octave, so most people can handle one octave. Uh, there's repetition in the lyrics uh, that breed familiarity and help singers learn the song quickly. And the same musical phrase is repeated all throughout. Um, and it's all in stepped notes, so there's no skipping um, or jumps in the way that the notes descend and ascend. Uh, and so the second half of the song is the same musical phrase as the first half of the song. It's just transposed down a step. So um, basically, the song is super simple. Handel created it, so it's like, OK. Uh, and then so this song, through its lyrics, its melody, was literally engineered to be easily sung and shared. Keep that in mind. All right, next slide. All right. So Psalm 98 commands us to join in the choir of heaven and nature and sing about the works of the Lord. And the musical arrangement by design also compels us to sing. So when we sing Joy to the World, um, as sung by giant churches and choirs, we sing it loudly and with gusto. Um, but there's a lot of irony in that. Um, Joy to the World celebrates the story of Christmas, the coming of Christ as the redemption of the world. But the pipe organs, the trumpets, the fanfare that we usually associate with the song, the celebration that we associate with the song didn't exist when Jesus was born. Jesus arrived on this earth quietly, sleeping in a manger. So the song doesn't try to capture what's actually happening during Advent. It's, actually, it's not actually narrating the story of Advent. Instead, the song captures our joyful response to what's happening in the story of Advent. It captures our mood, our joyful expressions of gratitude, our sense of waiting, our anticipation of something tremendous. As we are reminded of the most quiet and intimate and humble of situations. 
Next slide. So joy to the world. Joy to the world, if you think about the lyrics, the first line of the entire song tells us that our world, along with our communities, our neighbors, needs to have joy proclaimed in it. Um, why? Because while we may be commuting on the struggle bus waiting for a savior to return, we know that Psalm 98 is true. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gotten him victory. The Lord has made known his victory. He has revealed his vindication in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the victory of our God. So Jesus has completed the work. And all we need to do is share good news. So in this Advent season, as I invite PSAM up, I challenge you to find an excuse to sing and declare joy to the world, to your family, to your friends, to your neighbors, to strangers. Proclaim the good news and share in the joy of the Lord. That's all I have for today. So I'll stand together. <clears throat> so, I like to say that the only difference between the sacred and what? The humdrum, the mundane, is our memory. Because the event when you're immersed in it or embedded in it you can't fully enjoy because you don't understand the meaning even the traumas of our lives even the brokenness of our lives you can only process meaning in hindsight in that sense joy is the twilight the, in between space, between what is and what is to be. C.S. Lewis says in Surprised by Joy, that joy reminds, always reminds. It is not a possession. It is something long ago or something to be. And so, if you just think about this in a practical way, how many people here have a Christmas list? Raise your hand if you have a Christmas list. My kids have like eight of them. It is making me broke. I didn't know how much these Jordans were, people. Why are they so expensive? Anyone know someone in Jordan? Andy, you know someone? Okay. Can I get a discount? Because, <laughs> because uh, I mean, these sneakers are what five dollars to make, but they cost like two fifty. And and uh, my son was talking to my wife, and Josh is very sneaky. He looks cute, but he's sneaky too sometimes. He kept opening boxes coming into the house, and my wife was like, "Josh, you're gonna ruin Christmas." Because he, he he said, you know what he said? He I, I hid the box under my table. And Josh said, I accidentally opened this box. He accidentally opened the box. I said, how do you accidentally open anything? He goes, I mean, I intentionally opened the box to see what's in there. And 
he had a conversation with my wife and, and my wife said, you know, dad's joy is to give. He wants to see your face on Christmas because he spent a lot of money on that. The only joy I receive literally is transitory because it's just five seconds. It's like my sons and my wife, their face light up. That's the joy. And it's gone. Then it's grief. But in a way, if I can help you understand the joy of the Lord today, it is so weighty. Joy is like light. It's not something I can possess. It passes through me. Tell someone next to you, it passes through you. It shines on you. It reflects through you. Because for there to be any meaning, like I said in hindsight, for there to be any meaning for purpose for existence, there has to be another tomorrow. Death, physical death is only a new beginning. And so today, I want to help you remember in hindsight the joy of the Lord. All the times he met you and we took it for granted. All the times he passed through you, the grace, through love, through the touch of someone you love, through the laughter of good friends, the love of good food, the prisms of joy. I want to pray that it fills you today. Amen. So let's make this our prayer. Sing together. Curses found 
with truth and grace. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of His righteousness and wonders of His love and wonders of His love and wonders Ultimately, joy is a foreshadowing of Jesus is coming in Aventus and Jesus' return. The Bible retrospectively points to Jesus in the Old Testament and culminates culminates the joy that passes through us shines on us reflects in the person of Jesus Christ and so if our heart is cold And if our faith feels old, then we lost our memory of the sacred. Because the only difference between the sacred and the humdrum is our memory. I pray today as we close that the Holy Spirit would remind you of the moments, of the places and the spaces where you felt God shine on you. Reflect through you and worked in you. Because when you remember that light, that's when you realize joy. So, will you bury heads with me today and just spend a moment as the Holy Spirit reminds? As Lewis says, joy always reminds of a time long ago when God passed through your life, worked in you, and shined through you. And I want to give you this charge as we close Christmas service next week. When I preach on Jesus being the Prince of Peace, I want to challenge all of us 
as we go into Christmas and New Year, as we go remote, would you pray that the Holy Spirit help you reflect that joy of the Lord and introduce the narrative and the drama of Christmas, the Advent season, the Adventists, to those who need him the most. I pray that the Lord will shine upon you. I pray that the Lord will work through us. And we would reflect that prism of joy in a world that's joyless, precarious, and broken. And I pray the Spirit would convict us to reflect that beautiful light that came in this world. Will you bow your heads for the benediction today? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. All God's people pray. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace.